0: morning again um one sunday when i preach just one i'm going to remember this microphone is supposed to be on my face before i'm start preaching so um but that Sunday's not today so um we're thankful you are again with us this morning um i want to Before we go to Exodus, I want to draw you back to Psalm 29, to our call to worship. Looking again at verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to Yahweh, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due His name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of His holiness. We are um, today going to be looking in closing our time in Exodus, where we spent the last 12 weeks um, looking at God's faithfulness, um, God's goodness to His covenant, God's faithfulness to deliver His people, and today as we end that, we're going to see the, kind of the conclusion and the climax of the story. Where we see the glory of God in the midst of the people and among the people in a way that is familiar, but in a way that is distinctly different than we have seen up until this point in Exodus. If you look in Exodus chapter 40... Our concentration today will be on 34 through 38. Follow along with me as we read. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. God, as we today look at your glory along, upon the temple, the tabernacle, and we look at the reality of your glory, Father, again, my prayer is that you would let the weight of that set upon me us, Father, that we would be drawn to more rightly worship You in the splendor of holiness. It's in Christ we pray these things. Amen. So again, over the last, this makes, I think, week 12. Um, of us going through exodus over the last 11 weeks we've we've kind of walked through um, in larger swaths of the text at times looking at at the exodus from egypt and now to the point of the tabernacle and i want to kind of just remind us of where we've been and what we've seen from the very beginning we saw the people um, remember the sovereignty of god leading the people to egypt through joseph preserving the line of the savior preserving his people with whom he had made covenant. And then there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, oppressed the people, put them in bondage and slavery. Again, if you remember back to Genesis, just as God told Abraham when he made the covenant with him, that would happen. We've been pointing back constantly in this thing to the covenant, God's faithfulness to it. God hears the cries of the people. God preserves Moses through the infanticide of Pharaoh, raises him up even within the house of Pharaoh, Sends him into the wilderness for 40 years to prepare him to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Sends him to the people. God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. We see Pharaoh harden his own heart. We see God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm through the plagues deliver His people just as He told them He would do. We see God in His faithfulness to this covenant free His people from this enslaved nation. We see it the Red Sea. God... Again, delivering them, fighting for them. Then they get to Sinai and we see the the cloud and the thunder and the lightning and the, the command to not go near the mountain or touch it or you would be stoned or shot with arrows and put to death because the holiness of the Lord was upon the mountain. We see God in His goodness giving them the law of the covenant and at the same time we see the people making golden calves and worshiping them. Right after they've heard the voice of the Lord that made them tremble in such a way that they told Moses, don't let him speak to us anymore. You talk to us. And yet they forget and they make golden calves and they worship idols. We see God bring discipline to them for this. We see God's grace and faithfulness to preserve them and renew a covenant with them. We see God in His goodness give them the law and the priest and the tabernacle as we saw last week looking at the idea of the priest and the tabernacle and this place that would be central to all of the tribes and that God's presence would be among them in this way and that's what would make them distinct. We've we've built up to this point and now in in chapter 40, if you look in 16, or the first 33 verses of, of chapter 40, is them doing what God has told them to do up to this point. They're building the temple, they're erecting the temple. And look in verse 16 of chapter 40. And Moses did according to all that Yahweh commanded him. So he did. Then we see from there out, they're building the temple to speck. God has not just told them to build a temple. God has told them to build a temple in a specific way with specific material to a specific dimension. And in, in this, we see them doing that. They have put the altar in place. They put the ark in place. They put the veil in place. Now it's done. It's completed. The temple has been erected. Now there's this, I would assume, doesn't say, but I would assume now there's this anticipation. Moses has been on the mountain. He's come back with these instructions from the Lord. We've now built this temple where God said He's going to dwell among His people. This tabernacle. I can imagine there would be this anticipation. I mean, it would take months to have built this thing. And now it's done. And now what's going to happen? And we see what happens. In verse 33, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court, and so Moses finished the work. Then in verse 34. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. We see they have erected the tabernacle. It has been built. It has been done. They remember the promise. I'm going to dwell among you. It's going to make you distinct. And now we see that coming to fruition. The cloud of the Lord comes upon them. This cloud is familiar to us. If you remember, even back to the Red Sea, the cloud going before them, going behind them, being between them and Egypt, leading them by cloud in the day and by fire by night, it has led them up to this point and now this cloud has descended upon the tabernacle. But this time it's different. This time it says the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. We often hear and speak of the glory of the Lord. There's Even the... the song that keeps coming into my head and it may or may not be because my wife put it there but there's that song if y'all remember that the glory of the Lord rise among us y'all remember that song back in the day yeah there's certain songs I try to forget for no other reason because we sang them 1800 times and that was that might have been one of them but we we sing of the glory of Lord we we speak of the glory of the Lord being reformed we know at least one of the solas is to the glory of God alone but what is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of God? Even this week in thinking through that, i have reminded yet again, we often use terminology and if asked to explain it or asked to define what that means, I often give the... It means the glory of the Lord. Like We often give the, the word because we don't know how to say it any other way. We just know we used it. We kind of know generally what we mean. And even in looking through commentaries and articles and these kind of things trying to, to see what the, the great scholars of the world have said about it. Not of the world, but of theology. Even then, there's a sense in which they'll say it's very hard to, to put in a, a, a precise definition what the glory of the Lord is. One person, Christopher Morgan, wrote, In a sense, God's glory is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of His many perfections. More often, glory communicates God's special presence as in the pillar of glory and a fire or the glory that filled the tabernacle. Or as Costi Hen put it, it's every aspect and attribute of God. So when we speak of the idea of the glory of God, what we're speaking of is the the completeness of who He is. Being seen or manifested in, in some way as much as we can see it. And understand it. There's a sense even in which the word that is used there seems to point to some of what it means. The word is, and I'm not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, nor do I pretend to be. But the word there is kavod. The word translated means heaviness or weight. The derision the, the, the of that, there's a variation of that that's used in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Give weight to your father and mother. There's a sense in which the variation of that word here, kavod, is pointing to translated glory, the weightiness of the Lord. The heaviness of Him. Meaning the fullness of who He is and the the splendor and the weight of what that carries. And in thinking through that in, in a culture and even among the professing church, in a culture where we have tried to make God as weightless as possible, it is vital that we who are His people are reminded of the weightiness of the glory of God. In our culture, and again, even among the the visible church, there's this, and I don't want to say it's new, because it's not, But there's this thing to where we try to take the edge off of God in every way possible. We try to take the weight of who He is away from it lest it weigh heavy upon someone. But if we're to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, if we're to ascribe to the Lord glory and weight, it's vital for us to be reminded of who this God is. We saw last week, again, we're seeing the fullness and the The culmination of it now, God has has saved this people to be their God and to dwell among them. Multiple times throughout Exodus, we're reminded that is what's going to make them distinct among the nations. Is that Yahweh will dwell among them. And we who are His people have an understanding that those who are in Christ, He dwells among us in His Spirit. We're going to look at that later. And yes, there's a rejoicing in that. And there's a celebration in that. And there's a humility in that. But let's not forget who it is that dwells among us. It is the triune God who spoke all things into being. It is the God who is perfect in every way. It is the God who every attribute He has screams righteousness and justice and holiness. It is this God who dwells among us. So I hope that today we are reminded of the weight of the glory of God as we look at this text. And even in looking at the idea of the glory of God, we'll look at it through Exodus, but I I was curious and, and drawn back even to other places in the Scripture where it it teaches us something of the glory of God. In Isaiah 6, text that's likely familiar to us, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. Right? Isaiah 6, we see that the earth is full of it. In Psalm 19 and in Romans 1, we see that creation itself proclaims it. In Isaiah 42.8, we see He will not share it with another. That's vital for us as we look at another aspect of His glory that is seen throughout Scripture. He will not share it with another and He does everything to that end. Why does God do all things as the the Catechism for Smaller Children says? Why does God do all things? For His own glory. And all throughout Scripture we see whether it be salvation, creation, or even the destruction of nations. Why does He do it? that we will know and see His glory. As Ephesians tells us, we were saved to the praise of His glorious grace. He is, will not share His glory with another, which I was even reminded of that this week because I was... I can't remember if I was listening to a podcast or just had Scripture... something was, was reading Scripture. But even reminded of that with, with Pilate. If you're familiar with the text, I think it's in Luke... For he's speaking and the people are proclaiming the voice of God and not of man. If you're familiar with the text, you know what happens to Pilate. He's struck dead with worms. Why? Because he would not give glory to God. We saw in Psalm 29 with the glory of God, we're to worship in light of it. Our worship is to be to that end. We're not trying to make Him glorious. I don't make God anything. But in our worship, we're ascribing to Him glory. We are proclaiming what is rightly due Him. We're to worship in light of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us we're to live to this end, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do. Do it to the glory of God. In Romans, we're reminded that we have traded the glory of God for the worship of lesser things. In Romans 3.23, we're reminded that we all fall short of it. So we see this idea of the glory of God being something that fills the earth, something that the heavens proclaim, something that He will not share, something that we are to worship in light of, and something that everything we do is to be to the end of proclaiming, this weight, this glory of the attributes and the beauty of God. But even throughout Exodus, we have seen the reality and the proclamation of the glory of God. Either in what He's doing and the people's response to it, or specifically He's told them, I'm doing this so that My glory will be seen. In Exodus 6, He says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered My covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people and I will, be my, I will be your God and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God is saving them so that He will be known among them. Right? Exodus 7 But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply the signs and wonders in the land of Egypt Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by acts of great judgment and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Again one of, the, one of the reasons God is doing what He's doing in the way that He is doing it is so that the nations will know that He is who He is. That His glory will be seen among them. Again, we see the same in Exodus 14. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and He will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. We've seen it in Sinai. Again, if you remember the account the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to descend upon the mountain. Prepare yourself. Rope it off. Don't let anybody get near it. Purify yourselves because I'm going to descend upon the mountain. And in 24, we see that the glory of the Lord descended upon the mountain. And we see these tremblings and these earthquakes and they hear the, the, the rumble and they hear the voice of the Lord and there's fear among the people. We see that the, a portion of the glory of the Lord descending upon the mountain. Then in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses, in the midst of interceding on behalf of the people, because again, they've made the calf. Moses is interceding. And if you remember, what's the request he makes of the Lord? Show me your glory. And What's the Lord's response? You can't see that and live. But the Lord in His grace said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. Again, using anthropomorphic language and when I go past you, I will proclaim my name to you, that I will remove my hand and you can see the back of me. Again, using Anther, you can see a, a, a fringe of my glory. But you can't see my face or you'll die. If you remember what happens, he does that, and Moses comes down from the mountain, and what's the condition of Moses? His face is radiating in such a way that the people have to cover his face with a veil they can't even bear to see the radiation of the fringe of the glory of God radiating off of Moses even that was enough that the people had to to hide from it and now in chapter 40 we see the glory of the Lord and again we see something here that is familiar to us if we've been following along in in the Exodus story or even if you haven't if you're familiar with the Exodus story we see some aspects of this that are very familiar to us and some aspects of this that are extremely distinct We see the cloud cover the tent. Again, we're familiar with the cloud. We've seen it at the Red Sea. We've seen it as it led them throughout their journey thus far. But now we see the glory of Yahweh come upon the tabernacle in a way that it seems has not before up until this point. And God had kind of somewhat alluded to them this was going to happen. In Exodus 29, 42 and 44, when He's speaking of the tabernacle, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by My glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. So God's already said what's going, to, what's going to make the tabernacle sanctified, what's going to make it distinct is My glory will be among it. So again, we've seen the cloud before. We've seen the, the symbol of the presence of God among them. But it seems this is a more full display of that and of His glory. What leads me to say that is verse 35. Even Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Again, think of everything Moses has encountered and seen up until this point. Everything Moses has been able to be a part of and to to be called to and and see in, in a way that no one else could. He's seen the glory of the Lord at the burning bush. He was the one who was able to ascend Mount Sinai and be among the cloud and the Lord spoke to him. He is the one who said, show me your glory. And God showed him the fringes of his glory in a way that no one else saw. But yet in this manifestation of the glory of the Lord, even Moses could not enter. It made me think of the old hymn that we often sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. The fullness of the glory of God is something that even Moses who had seen all of these other signs and wonders, who had had an intimacy with God that no one else in the book of Exodus had, and yet now when a more full aspect of the glory of God comes upon the tabernacle, now even Moses cannot enter it. And this, again, Draws us back to this reality that in a culture that seems to make God as weightless as possible. We would do well to remember the God that we worship. To remember the beauty of the reality that we, I would argue, even in a more full way than Moses. Have access to the fullness of the glory of God yet we speak of God often and we talk of God often and we even try to proclaim of God often as if he's just, we we would never use this language, I hope. But we often speak of him as if he's he's just our buddy down the street. And often the world tries to create him to where he's just a, a, a little more powerful version of them. But yet we see even in this, because let's let's get and understand, even this is not the fullness of the glory of God on display. And yet even this prevented Moses from entering the tabernacle. The glory of God, the weight of God, again, going back to to, to paraphrase Costi Hen's definition, the, the fullness of His attributes and character is such that in and of ourselves, we have no access to Him. Again, keep in mind, even the goodness of God of making Israel distinct from all the other nations, because He's going to dwell among them, and He's given them the tabernacle, and He's given them the Ark of the Covenant, and His presence would dwell there. But let's keep in mind, they did not have access to this. You remember last week, Pastor Adam taught us about the tabernacle, and he showed us the diagram, and there's there's the court where the people could come. There's the holy place where the priests could serve. And then there's the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant sat. Excuse my poor grammar. Ain't nobody going in there. Except the high priest and him but once a year. So yes, the glory of God dwelt among them. But even then, they did not have access to him. Not in in a, in a full way. They could not approach him in and of themselves. And let's be reminded of that reality this morning. That the God of the Scriptures is a God of glory and majesty and holiness that man left to himself cannot approach. And we see in this, um, we we know um, that that glory was then kind of restrained into um, the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and that the priests were able to serve in there and we see the cloud now leading the people. That was their sign to go cloud came up off of the tabernacle. It was time to pack up and follow the cloud. If the cloud descended upon it, then that was, meant you were staying put. And the Lord was not only present among them, but the Lord was leading them and was gracious to do so. But we look at this and we say, okay. We see a tabernacle. We see the glory of God dwelling among His people in the tabernacle. We don't have a tabernacle. Do we have the glory of God among us? What is is our visibility of the glory of God? And we can look and go to Psalm 19, and again, we've looked at the heavens declared the glory of God. But I want us to look more fully into what is What is our access to the glory of God and what is our view of the glory of God now? Not having the tabernacle, nor should we. What I want us to grasp as we look at this reality is even more fully than was seen in the tabernacle. Exponentially more fully than was seen in the tabernacle. The glory of God is made known to us in Christ Jesus. In its fullness. If you would flip to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In Jesus, we see the glory of Yahweh. For indeed, He is Yahweh. We see, again, Colossians 15 tells us the same thing. He's the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus tells us, if you have seen me, you've seen who? The Father. Because He displays and He manifests and He is the very glory of God among us. Again, yes, in veiled form. He did not come the first time in the fullness of His glory. Next time He will. But we see in Christ Jesus we have the fullness of the glory of God manifested among us. But here's the astounding thing with that. Not only in Christ Jesus do we have the fullness of the radiance of the glory of God seen to us. And you may be sitting here thinking I can't see Jesus. Yes you can. And if you know me You know I'm not thinking about some trance you're going to go into because I'm as far away from that as you can possibly get. We have the Scriptures. If we have the Scriptures, we have seen Christ. For He has made Himself known to us. Understand, when we read of Jesus in the Gospels and we read of what the the writers write to us in the epistles of Jesus, we're not just learning of an historical figure. We are learning of the glory of God. Among us. But not only do we have the view and the, 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 the radiance of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the part that should astound us. In Christ Jesus we also have access to the glory of God. Again, in the temple, the tabernacle, they had the presence but they didn't have the access. They could look and say, we're distinct among the nations. Our God dwells among us. But they dare not go in that tabernacle. And they dare not go in the Holy of Holies. But we, in Christ Jesus, not only have the radiance of the glory of God, but because we have a better intercessor than Moses, because we have a better intercessor than the priest, we have access to the heavenly Holy of Holies. Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we have so great a high priest, let us enter boldly before the throne of grace. True, we cannot see the fullness of the glory of God even now. But we have access to the throne. We have access to the God of glory. Again, point you back to Psalm 24 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to idols. You get down to the end of that and it speaks of this King of glory who will enter in. This King of glory who now gives us access to glory, who now gives us the the right and the purity and the righteousness we need to ascend the hill of Yahweh and have access to Him. And in Christ we have a mediator that grants us access to again go boldly before the throne of grace. even more astounding than that. This God of glory again doesn't call us to go to another place to do that but we are the temple of God with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us if we are in Christ. I think often I we lose sight of the beauty and the grandeur of what Christ has done for us because we lose sight of the glory of God. If I understand the glory and the weight and the majesty of God, and I understand the reality that I should not be able to approach Him, That I should be consumed by the fire that is the glory of God. But yet the one who is the very radiance of the glory of God has redeemed me. Made me righteous. And granted me access to this God of glory. If we see that rightly, we will be drawn to worship. We will be drawn to obedience. We will be drawn to a love of our Savior. So one, this idea of the reality of the glory of God will lead us again to love Christ, to to cling to Him. But again, this idea of the glory of Christ, if you remember 1 Corinthians 10, that is to be the summation of all that we do down to our eating and drinking. If I grasp rightly the glory of God and understand rightly His desire not only to call us to do all things for His glory, but that He is doing all things for His glory. Understand that is God's chief end. I would ask Blake to stand up and tell us what the chief end of man is because I ask him every week during youth. Because I want to, one, I just like to see Blake get red and smile. And two, I want to make sure Blake knows it. Chief end of man. Any shorter catechism, people? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But if we grasp and understand that God's chief end is to glorify God as well, That's a different sermon for a different day. But understand, God does everything for His glory. And that changes how we view evangelism. That changes why we go to Africa. That changes why we and how we speak to our neighbor about the gospel across the street. Because our desire is, yes, out of love for them to see them reconciled to God. But the overarching motivation in all of that should be, I desire to see God glorified where He is not being glorified. Our chief end would be the exaltation of the glory of God among us. Every week we we do as we're getting ready to in a moment close our service with the table. And every week we're called to remember a certain aspect of the gospel and the work of God in Christ as we come to the table that flows from the sermon and remember His broken body and shed blood. Today as we do so, and we come to the table let the overall, and I'm going to use the word because it's the word for, for glory, let the overall weight of what we're doing be seen rightly. We come to the table, yes, to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, but I hope today we come remembering maybe in a way that we have grown, um, I don't want to say numb to or forgetful to, just maybe not set our minds to at times. who this one is whose body was broken and whose blood was shed. The very glory of God among us. Whose body was broken and whose blood was shed. And let us come and remember what that now grants us. Yes, reconciliation to God. but access to the God of glory. And Let us be reminded. Let us remember. And let us be drawn into further obedience into the reality that that is the chief end to which we are to do and live all things. As our deacon comes and prepares the table, dwell upon the glory of God in these things. Dwell upon the glory of what Christ has done, of who He is that has done it, and what that has done for us. Um, Dwell upon these things, and then in a moment we'll come to the table together.